Hi, I'm Tim Marlowe, the Artistic Director of the Royal Academy of Arts in London. You're listening to a podcast from our events programme, recorded live in the new Benjamin West Lecture Theatre. Good evening and welcome to the Royal Academy of Arts. My name is Jessica Rutterford and I'm the Adult Learning Programmer here. Um, I'm delighted to introduce this panel titled Gatekeepers of Censorship, Contemporary Erotic Art in a Digital Age. Our panel tonight consists of Celia Hempton, um, an artist, Associate Arts Producer at Index on Censorship, Julia Farrington, and psychoanalyst Adam Phillips. The discussion tonight will be chaired by Kirsty Walk, one of Britain's most experienced television journalists. She's presented a wide range of programmes, including the BBC's flagship nightly current affairs show, Newsnight. And tonight, Kirsty will be asking our speakers to examine how and if, in an age of successful digital media platforms and the prolific production of transgressive artworks, new methods of censorship may have become a controversial and sometimes impeding issue for contemporary artists. Um, please note that there will be time for an audience Q&A at the end, um, so please do wait until the roaming mic is brought around if you do have a question. Um, and without further ado, please do join me in welcoming all the panellists to the stage. Good evening. It's great to see uh, a full uh, lecture theatre uh, tonight. Um, this really is a conversation about all sorts of things uh, to do with the world we live in, the digital world, um, how that changes, if it does, the way that we view imagery, erotica, pornography, or not, and who judges, frankly, and that's the other thing. So it's very much about uh, individual and personal. It, there's no one here making any kind of uh, sweeping statements about what the state should and should not do, but very much we are going to talk about whether or not indeed there is a role of the state. So we're marking, in a way it's quite, it's very apposite because we're marking the centenary of the deaths of Egon Schiele and Gustav Klimt. You know, what if they were here and working now? What would we all think? Some of us would think one thing, others would think another. In the age of social media and censorship, what actually defines the erotic? What defines the pornographic? One person's erotica is another person's pornography. Um, does the female gaze in art change things? Um, so tonight we're delighted to be joined by Adam Phillips, a psychoanalyst and writer, who actually, we already had a, a kind of pre-conversation which has raised lots of issues which I hadn't even thought about. And uh, one of his most recent pieces is Thoughts on the Nature of Vulgarity, a thing that changes itself as class changes and as centuries change too. Uh, Julia Farrington, uh, associate uh, freelance arts producer, associate uh, arts producer at Index and Censorship, uh, monitoring uh, contemporary forms of censorship, not making judgments, encouraging other people to uh, perhaps take action in a particular way. We were talking earlier, Julia and I, about the work that she's been doing with the police. Uh, in the middle here, Celia Hempton, whose work, some of whose work we will see on screen behind us during the conversation, discussing the challenges of creating erotic art in the contemporary art world. And indeed, uh, she's an artist whose work includes uh, work put in many private and public collections, and forthcoming exhibition is called Art in the Age of the Internet. 1989 until today. I can't actually believe we're saying things like 1989 until today. It seems uh, hardly any time at all. But how did we get here? Do you think, um, Adam, there's always been an element of control about what is acceptable to see, what isn't acceptable to see, and who makes that kind of, and, 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 and an element of control and who makes the decision? Well, there's obviously a strong assumption there are things we need to be protected from even though not everybody necessarily knows what they are. And the difficulty, one of the difficulties, I think, in this is that actually nobody knows beforehand what they will be traumatised by or thrilled by or excited by. In other words, it's very unpredictable because one doesn't know one's own history. One doesn't know what one is predisposed to respond to. So it's as though, on a sort of model of parents and children, the children need to have their excitement regulated and their safety guaranteed. Mm -hmm. So on that basis, it's as though the question is, how can we be safe enough to be excited enough to feel that sex is worth it, so mm -hmm. to speak, given how frightening it can be? 
And so I think, in a way, there's always going to be a question about, and obviously this is part of the excitement of sex, is how do you know, how can you know, how much risk can you take to find out what you are genuinely excited by? But, for example, when um, somebody in Vienna at secession time uh, was viewing uh, a picture by Egon Schiele, they would be viewing it with a particular societal you know, construct around them. They would be viewing it from the point, and we were talking, I'd like you to mention a bit about the poverty in that area as well. But now when we look back at Sheila, do we judge Sheila differently because we know that some of his models were certainly underage, no question. So someone like Sheila, we view him differently through a prism of a different century and different uh, mores in society. I think the risk may always be that when we talk about sex, we think sex is only about sex. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we're talking about when we're talking about sex is what people want from each other. It's one of the ways we can talk about that. And I think, in a way, what's interesting about art is the way in which different generations and different periods revise it and see it differently. I think now, for example, there'd be a lot of people who would be either appalled or excited and appalled by their excitement by some of these images, mm -hmm. in the full knowledge that, you know, that in the early 19th, 20th century in Vienna, the streets were milling with prostitutes. There was loads of child prostitution, and there were then generations of people who'd been exploited and brutalized from countries all over Europe. So this was a place where there was a great deal of deprivation. You look at Sheila's bodies, and they look like they're the survivors of something. Mm -hmm. And you look at the, you might look at the nudes and think the looks on these women's faces are saying something like, what might you want if you're looking at me like this? And there's genuine bewilderment as well as a kind of posing. So I think in a way, it's like a sort of keyhole into not, not, um, not exactly assumptions about sexuality, but questions about sexuality. And now, in a way, that keyhole is global. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and we're going to come on, I'm going to talk to Julie about the, what, what the, the questions that poses. But Celia, could we, we just talk about your work for a while, how you create it, uh, what your intention is? Um, well, I should first say that I, I really dislike the word erotic, particularly in relation to art, I think. I've never set out to make erotic art. Mm. Um, I think because I personally don't draw a huge distinction between pornography and eroticism. Um, although I make some paintings of genitalia, I also make paintings of lots of other things. Um, but I'm, what I'm interested in is um, the moments of extreme feeling that punctuate our everyday lives. So I'm often putting myself in my work in situations that might be uncomfortable in some way. Um, Explain that more. For example, I make some work on video chat websites, um, scrolling through images often of men masturbating, and make paintings whilst I'm chatting to those people. Um, and that was initially uh, something that I thought about as a, a way in which I might be able to flip uh, a power dynamic that I saw, especially online, with... Um, the gaze predominantly in sex being that of one demographic and that being uh, men, particularly straight men. Um, but then it became much more complex as I moved through that series. Um, and then I make another, I make lots of different series, but the other series of work that I have made um, of genitalia is made in my studio with a model in front of me. But on the question of uh, the internet, um, and in a digital age, it allows you, in a way, to make a, a, I mean, a massive variety of work because, I mean, there's a limit, presumably, to the amount of models you can have coming in to your studio. Mm -hmm. But essentially, you have models from everywhere and anywhere. And do you, ha do you actually talk to your models about what you want to create or do you just say, is it all right if I paint you? Um, I think I see, I see online space a bit like a landscape almost like a, a wild space, um, parts of which uh, haven't really been traversed much. 
um, and you might, it's like a portal, especially with chat rooms, into people's um, lives, um, people that I wouldn't necessarily meet, for example, a farmer in China um, or a man in Saudi Arabia or somebody in Sweden or anywhere. Um, and that excites me, I suppose. Um, so the act of painting is you're putting yourself in that situation. So as much as what you're actually creating is your experience as an artist creating it that's important to you. Yeah, it's as much about um, reflecting on my own identity within what I do as it is about trying to understand what I'm looking at. Um, so within what I would call a form of performance, many different things might happen. I might have a life-affirming conversation with somebody mm -hmm. um, or I might be subject to verbal abuse um, and generally people do try to get me to take my clothes off but then other times... Um, so they can always see you as you're painting? It's not a one-way street? Um, it depends. Sometimes depending on the connection they can't see me or I'm, I've been mistaken for a man before. Mm -hmm. Often because I'm working I'm wearing a large jumper or something mm -hmm. with paint all over it and you can't necessarily see what gender I am. Um, it really depends on the connection and on where I decide to place the camera. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm interested to, to, uh, in what you were saying about, um, and this is not just related to art, but you were saying that you don't feel that there's any difference between erotica and pornography. Not particularly. I don't find eroticism particularly deep. I think if somebody were to look at my work and um, be aroused by it, that's only one quite shallow reading of what I hope is there to think about. Julie, from uh, index and censorship's point of view, you know, you, your job, if you were to choose to do it 24 hours a day, would presumably take up your time 24 hours a day. It's been exponential because of the internet. Um, can you explain, just in terms of, you know, what we're talking about, about what makes art acceptable to whom uh, in a sexual content, how you deal with different agencies who come to you for advice or indeed you go and talk to. Uh, and, and particularly we're talking recently about the, the whole question of the police. Mm. I mean, a lot of the work I do is with, with institutions rather than with artists and with gatekeepers in general because I think that artists have a good instinct for pushing up against whatever boundary there may be. So if the space for freedom of expression in the arts is being considerably limited by institutions, by the role of the council, by funders, by, um, by the police, by the, the way in which the police interact with, when they do interact with artists, if, if it's those gatekeepers who are posing um, ex sort of excessive limits and excessive filters and excessive sort of um, habits of behaviour that aren't being challenged, then I feel it's important to be talking to them. Mm -hmm. um, so I have, I have dealt more than with the individual artist, because I feel the artist, as I say, will, you know, some, not all, will always be seeking out those, um, those interesting places of tension and of, and of obscurity and of taboo. Um, so it's really the extent to which the, the gatekeepers are going to let that process happen. And, and who might intervene and at what stage um, to prevent that from happening. So that's sort of, it, it's, that's my landscape, I reckon, is the sort of, it's, I sort of envisage it like a bit like a sort of space like this with, with all these forces that are all too, all too ready and willing to sort of infringe on that space. And what are we doing um, to sort of push back and keep the space as wide as open? Wide but open but yes, yeah, so, so artists push against and no what, but the thing is that they push, they're not pushing against anything particularly difficult to push against when you're pushing against the internet because it's just out there everywhere. The internet itself cannot censor everything. I mean, you were talking about on Facebook, there's 4,000 images every second. I'm not, not talking about art, just about 4,000 images to look at. So how do you, how does one, you know, is it the tech giants, look at, for example, art and decide, mm -hmm. and, and who are they to decide in a way? This is the problem. Yeah. Who are they to decide whether something is indeed uh, a thing of beauty, erotic? I mean, one of, I, think, I think probably one of the things I would say between er er erotic and pornography is about control. 
and exploitation. That, that's just what I would maybe say. But how, how can people make judgments uh, about what is acceptable and what is not acceptable? Because no two people think the same. Yeah. Where's the, where is the, the benchmark mm. for Google? Well, I mean, I think that this is, this is what um, is, is a major issue at the moment, is the ways in which the various different platforms are being requested. They actually all, all feel compelled to offer guidelines, put down rules, and, and implement them. And it's an extremely complicated process. I mean, I think The Guardian came out with, they'd been leaked the, um, the Facebook guidance, and it was sort of 500 slides, it was incredibly dense, and it was, it was, it was, it was unmanageable. It was an unmanageable um, map, I guess, of how you should navigate this territory. And then you have to think of how you're going to implement it. And it makes mistakes all the time. Um, and there are lots of examples of, of where, I mean, for instance, if you go on Insta Instagram, um, it says our community guidelines in brief and, in, and then in full. And in brief, it says we don't allow nudity. And then you go down a bit more, and it sort of says, well, we allow nudity in these kinds of situations, but not in others. And in theory, it would allow nudity where it is relating to art and culture. Yeah. Um, but you, are, but if you're dealing with this volume and you're basically giving over the first stage of that process of filtering to um, a machine. Because so tell me how AI operates. I mean, you said yeah. this great thing, that AI can pick out nipples. Well, yes, it can, but it can also pick out sort of pink icing on a, on a sort of white cake. I yeah. mean, it can, it can really go badly wrong, and it can also, it can also sort of beam in on a completely um, sort of benign sketch of a, of a, of a man's torso. Um, and then sort of really, really sort of go far of the mark and pick up on a, on a picture of a starving girl from Syria and, and ban that too on the basis that she's mm. not wearing a top. And, and it's just a, a complete mess. I mean, it really it isn't. And also, I suppose, the whole point about art, um, broadly speaking, is that it's ambiguous and it, and, it, and it operates on many levels, as you say. <coughs> so if you're only perceiving it and whether or not there's a nipple on that, on that, on that image, I mean, it, it, is, it is not easy and I would say probably possible um, to sort of, for, for, for the internet to sort of provide a regulated mm. space that's, that's intelligent. And, and you know, if once, I mean, just another point about, again, the sheer volume, because I think it's an incredibly important part of the whole, the whole sort of challenge. And, and, and that once the, once the AI has passed through its process and sort of pushed um, a whole bunch of imagery towards a human being, the human being has probably only got um, 10 seconds and all that human being's particular baggage to sort of process an image and agree whether or not it should be, yeah. um, it should be I, I, taken And what you're asking for, you're asking for some worker at a tech company or whatever to make an artistic judgment as well. Well, they're also, I mean, it's not only artistic, they're also um, having to, I mean, a lot, of the, a lot of the imagery is extremely abusive, extremely distressing, and they're sort of being trained in looking at... But um, is that in the guise of art, or it's just... A, we know there's a lot of stuff in the, on the internet which is horrific, but it, you're, are you saying that some of that is in the guise of art? Um, well, I, I mean, I think that, that, that basically they have to sort of divide it up into, into segments. I don't know enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, this is something that, you know, I'm only sort of yeah. putting my toe in. I'm fascinated more. I mean, I've done some, some reading into this. I've dealt with quite sort of bricks and mortar um, and the police, who are sort of, you know, you can go and talk, it's, it's relatively straightforward. Um, I mean, I think the, 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 the challenges from, from the internet um, around the kinds of censorship that, that, that is happening um, is uh, something that we're doing a lot more work on, mm -hmm. and it's, it's huge, but it's fascinating. Um, Celia, when you, um, you, you're on a chat room, and there's, there, there's um, images of... Uh, people, or you're asking them to masturbate or whatever. How do you know, um, and can you tell, because presumably some of these chat rooms are 18 and over, but how can you tell that it's not necessarily a 13 or 14 year old boy? And if it is a 13 or 14 year old boy, does that change the calculation that you make, or does it not matter? Um, I suppose there's a, a chance that I've painted somebody who's underage, but I think I, you can tell. And if, if, I, if I feel that, they, it, that it looks like somebody that's too young, I would, I would click next. I'm not interested, it doesn't interest no. me to go down that route particularly. I, I think I've approached my work in hopefully with a degree of um, sensitivity 
um, and, and sort of self-criticality in terms of like, do I approach a subject with intelligence or, or ignorance and who has the power yeah. In, yeah. in any situation? And can you see dangers in that, not necessarily in Celia's work, but just in terms of people putting themselves up for being portrayed on the, on the internet? In certain, you know, it could be people in a relationship, it could be kids playing. I mean, there's always going to be somebody that's... Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it may be worth wondering, in any given piece of censorship, mm -hmm. what's the fantasy of catastrophe that will occur if the censorship is lifted? Yeah. What do we fear is actually going to happen if we didn't have this rule? And when you think like that, you think of consequences, it seems to me it then becomes, in a way, clearer and vaguer at the same time. Because A, obviously we can't know the consequences. Everybody has a different history. Nobody knows how they're going to react to anything. They've got an idea, but they don't absolutely know. And I think, in a way, it's not amazing that the whole thing is in disarray. Because once you don't have either a group of rich people or a group of connoisseurs or a group of academics who create a consensus about taste, yeah. it's going to be a supermarket for the people who can afford it, so to speak. That's interesting because, of course, you know, the way you think of the internet, of course, is this democratization that we don't need you know, taste makers or you know, people that have got particular expertise. But what you're saying is actually you'll always need curators. Well, yes, or there will always be people who are trying to create a consensus and we'll be able to give reasons why we should agree. And they could be business people, they could be artists, they could be the police, they could be all sorts of people. But it's always going to be subject to controversy. But because you don't ever know the consequences, because you're remote, because it's online, then are people likely to be much more cautious? Or much more reckless. I mean, if you, if you made a distinction here, I mean, because obviously you can make a million distinctions, but if you were to distinguish, say, um, pornography from erotica, you could say something like, um, pornography is the attempt to usurp the erotic imagination. It steals dreams. It replaces fantasy with a packaged fantasy. The erotic, as it were, nourishes the imagination of sex. I mean, I'm not saying this is true, but it would be one way of thinking about it. So that in pornography, there's a hostile intent. Mm -hmm. That the, that the pornographer actually wants to, as it were, harm you by exciting you. And the erotic artist wants to, in this kind of idealised version of this, wants to, as it were, enable your erotic imagination without you being too frightened. Now, you see, what you just said seems incredibly reasonable to me, living in the country that we live in. Mm. But, of course, what you're saying in a global world online, is completely unacceptable yeah, in other countries. Yeah, yeah. So, but, it, but in that, there isn't a global world. I mean, there's a global... As well, in, there's a globalising... Yeah, there's yeah. a global world, but the global world is full of countries with individuals, with individual histories. So that we're always going to... Everybody's going to be dealing with the idea of a global world, which they can't really imagine, but everybody agrees there is one, and the actual local world they live in which is likely to be very, very small. <coughs> yes, but my point about that is that... So, no, my point is that, absolutely, but just let's say that uh, Egan Schiele painted somebody three weeks ago and put it online all yeah. over the world. My point is that the internet is global, but attitudes, yeah. laws, family circumstances, personal circumstances are different. Yeah. So... In a way, is the internet good for art or bad for art? Discuss in 500 words. <laughs> I mean, the answer must be yes and no. There'll be some art that will gain from all this, and there'll be some art that will be kind of stifled by it, presumably. But in a way, we'll find out. Yes. Because here it is. It's not going to be stopped now. So we're, we're going to find out. But it may be stopped in one. It may be stopped, actually, literally stopped in one country and not stopped yeah. in another. Yeah. Stopped in one regime and not another. The same way that the Bauhaus and everything was stopped in 1930s Germany yeah. for a particular reason, because it went against, you know, uh, you know the, 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 the cultural imperative as defined by the Nazis. Yeah. So it's still art, but it's just not allowed. But when you've got the internet, people can always get around that, can't they? Absolutely, yeah. Do you know who looks at your images? You post your images back online once they're painted. 
Do you mean my paint? The, yeah, the, paintings. The do you then put them back? For example, we're seeing images of yours here. Yeah. So when you paint uh, people, do you say, if you go on to dot dot dot, you can see some of the images that I paint of people in these chat rooms, and so you can, in a sense, be your own critic? No, we don't share any information with people online that I meet in chat I don't mean per I don't mean, sorry, I don't mean their names or anything, I just mean some of the the paintings you make. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have, I have done. Um, I have put paintings mm -hmm. of mine on, on Instagram, for example. Mm -hmm. That's what you mean. And you know what the responses are? Because presumably when people, when you speak to the Chinese farmer, uh, he obviously realizes that you're British. Uh, so he think, well, it's interesting because somebody on the other side of the world is painting me and I want to see what they paint. Do you, I mean, literally, do you get feedback is really what I mean. Right, yeah. In that case, we were using Google Translate, and so it was a very long, protracted process. <laughs> right. I think he was quite interested in just telling me about his day and not really that interested <laughs> in the painting. And that's a great idea. You're sitting displaying his genitalia for you to paint, going, well, I was doing this at 10 o'clock this morning, I was doing this at 5 o'clock. Something very intimate and personal about that. Yeah. He, he, was, he was fully clothed, actually. Oh, right. Okay, well, there we are. It's a different sort of thing. Yeah. On that, because I just saw a female genitalia there, and I was just thinking again, obviously, it's quite different, but I mean, again, Julia, if you had female genitalia on the web, generally, painted as an artistic endeavour, how... How, would there be gatekeepers for that as well, presumably? There will be people saying, in one country this is acceptable, in another country it's not acceptable. Um, it does vary in, in different jurisdictions, definitely. Um, the ones I'm sort of most familiar about are, are, are sort of in, in this country at, at this stage. And um, there, is, there is a deliberate uh, attempt, at least, to be able to recognise sort of paint on paper. Mm -hmm. And that, that sort of certainly digitally produced imagery is considered to be the one that is targeted the most because it is the most likely to be subject to, um, well, I mean, one thing that, I've, that, that is the deeply shocking, I don't know how many people know about deep fake, which is Scarlett Johansson's been, been subjected to this, where her face has been put on body of a porn mm -hmm. star and, and, and it's been sort of banded around and gone viral. And that's bad, but she at least as a, as a public figure can sort of um, stand up and say, this is not me. Mm -hmm. If you see that, you can absolutely 100% mm -hmm. know that that's not me. Mm -hmm. But it, it is basically a, a growing technology that's increasingly available. It's increasingly easy to do, to fabricate effectively anything visual and anything audio. audio. So in fact, we're basically looking at um, uh, create, creation, and it could be pornographic, it could be I mean, any, anything. Um, that is entirely fabricated, but it's made to look real. And if you think how that could be abused, and you know, mm -hmm. it could be this person committed a crime, mm -hmm. or this person was having an affair, or this, you know, a real, a real sort of mm -hmm. headfuck. Um, so um, I think digital content. They're saying that in, in theory they're developing some kind of machine that can pick this stuff out more easily. I mean, I don't know. It's it's a sort of it's a it's a dark history. Um, but I mean, I'm interested to know that you've paint, painted your, your very explicit sort of imagery, images on, on you've, you've posted them on Instagram and there's been no records. No, I think it's because they look like paintings. They look like paintings. Yeah. So there is obviously some sensibility somewhere out there that mm -hmm. can detect a, a, a work of art. But art isn't always, so there, but there's lots of artists who I know who've, who've posted works of art that have been censored because they're not really? painted. Really? They're not painted, yeah. so they'd be photographic images. Yeah. Yes, and this is a problem that I'm, I'm very conscious of, um, where, yes. for yeah. instance, uh, an artist who is working, she's called Yumna Alarashi, and she uses Instagram very much, and we were talking about all the sort of filters that keep certain kinds of artists out and how difficult it is to get a, a real show in a real place, and so she uses um, the internet absolutely to sort of be mm. the artist she wants to be and reach a global audience. And as a woman, um, as an, a woman, an Arab woman, she wants to speak freely and easily to Arabs all over the world. Um, but she's very curtailed in terms of what she's able to do on Instagram. But she, and so she censors herself because she doesn't want to get kicked off. Um, yeah. Because she would get kicked off if she showed everything she wanted to show. So she is censoring. 
herself because of this sensibility around sensitivity and this, this sort of beaming in on nipples and, mm. and you know, pubic hair and mm. all this, this sort of stuff that, that seemingly machines can, can recognize. Yeah. Yeah, and you're talking about uh, privilege and who gets to decide and who gets to buy and who gets to show. In one way, of course, the internet, just as you were talking about uh, uh, your Arab uh, artist, um, can be an instant gallery. And surely that is good for artists, that you don't have to be able to walk around the corner and go to one of these galleries that's usually, well, I imagine, kind of expensive to show. Uh, you can actually create your own art and, and make your own gallery online. Yes, and put like that, I think most people in this room would say, yeah. Put like that, that's great. yeah. Um, the question is, what's the significance of instant access? And what's in the fantasy of instant access? Because if, for example, I see a, a, a mocked up photograph of a film star I know and it isn't her body, I'm give, being given access to something, but it isn't clear what it is access to. When I see a photograph, it's not obvious to me what I have access to. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an image there. And I think the risk here is that the word art is used to dignify things. So if it's art, we all go, phew, that's fine. It must mm -hmm. be interesting. And if it's not art, we can go, oh, it's appalling, or whatever we happen to think about it. As though art, the idea of something being art, immediately narrows everybody's attention. Whereas if we can decide we don't need to worry about whether it's art or not, we then may be able to think about it. So I think we should think about what we think we want when we want access. What is this? And why do we need to use the art word? Celia, what do you think of that? I mean, I can't really, don't know if I can ask, answer that question. Um, I can only speak from my own position mm -hmm. as an artist. Um, and... Do, but does the, does the access to the internet enrich what you do? I mean, I think it's just part of daily life. So um, because it's part of my daily life, it's, it's a way into material. Mm -hmm. So there's material there which I can, some is very banal, um, and that might be interesting because it's very banal, or it might be very extreme. Um, do you ever wish it didn't exist? Um, no, but I think I quite enjoy um, being very open to certain things that I might see. So I, I probably have seen things that, for example, when I told my mother, she would say, you should never look, look at that, for example. Um, but, but I feel like making a, using something to make a work about almost it's a way of confronting that trauma so you can deal with it. Um, well, that's, that's, that is so interesting. Do you think that is influenced by the fact that you're a woman? Probably. And I well, I mean, I suppose influence, everything's influenced by who we are, but what I mean is that you get a freedom to confront things that actually women in, in their daily lives, perhaps just talking to people on the street or doing, maybe don't have that confidence sometimes. Maybe, possibly. Mm -hmm. Um, it's definitely a privilege to be able to spend so much time thinking um, and making. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested in the idea, uh, Julia, that it's, you're, you're just at the foothills of, and we are all still in the foothills of what might be possible. We know we, you know, you, you, I, I made a program uh, called Blurred Lines about, and, and the stuff, the horrific stuff that was on the internet that purported to be, you know, artistic. Uh, and involved young girls was just horrific. And I, but I wonder if, in the same way that um, you, Celia, use the internet as part of your daily life as an artist, we will see maybe more artists doing that as they change their methods of working. You know, because they don't have to, you can say, well, actually, I can't, I can't imagine going to see this in another country or speak to this person in another country or paint that nude, but just like Celia can, you can do it remotely. You can do it. Remotely. Yes. I mean, I, I think that the internet is, is extraordinarily rich for artists in lots of different ways. Because I think, for one, I think it, it, it offers very different ways of, of creating imagery, creating mm. ideas and, and, and speak. I mean, it's, it's a fabulous, it's a fabulous, digital media is, is extraordinary and powerful and wonderful. 
Um, but I also do think that um, in terms of the, the kind of control that, that um, can come in where you are testing boundaries. And, you know, I think I really, I mean, I suppose the artists that I tend to be interested in, tend to work, are the ones who are who aren't just conforming and aren't just sort of producing stuff that's, that's easy to consume because freedom of expression where everybody agrees isn't really what we're talking about. You know, censorship knocks in when, when, there, is, when there is some kind of fear of a consequence or there's a, there's a, control, a control mechanism that is coming to clamp down speech that is, that is deemed to be unsayable. And, and I am concerned about um, where, how we're going to sort of manage that space. So when I've sort of seen it as a nice sort of thing, with your policeman over there and your council there and your funder there and you can talk to them, you know, how can we, how can we keep the space open mm -hmm. um, for, for exciting, challenging, um, boundary-pushing work um, and keep the, keep the... I mean, I, I, I have no trouble sort of talking about art as being a place that's different from, from other expression because I do think that it... You know, good art is is asking questions and 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 challenge. You know, it's giving you different things to think about. It it thrives on ambiguity. It's not propaganda. It's not advertising. It's something else. And and I just wonder, with the sort of bluntness of some of the ways in which um, people who don't like what you're saying behave, whether that's whether that's the attack of an individual on an artist and and the self censorship that that follows through people who have been severely. Um, harassed and abused online um, and the impact that has and the self-censorship that arises as a result of that and people who stick their head above the parapet and get attacked. So I'm very concerned about that as a sort of self-censorship. I'm concerned about um, these very blunt methods of, of, of controlling and regulating mm -hmm. in areas where there is potential damage, there is potential harm, because we're talking about, you know, kids seeing stuff they shouldn't see and it influencing how they, their sort of sexual imaginations develop and, and, you know, these things are potentially harmful. But, you know, the tools that we've got at the moment are, are, very, are very crude. So on the one hand, yes, superb opportunity for, for art we can't even sort of anticipate and imagine at the moment, but, um, but c concerns about, about different forms of censorship that will arise yeah. in that environment. And of course, art in a digital age, the actual, actual practice of art has, you know, and even 3D printing, all these kind of things, change the nature of what's possible for an artist. I was wondering, on the same question that you were talking about, um, getting art out from a, maybe a repressed regime, we will actually, what the internet allows us to do, if we open our eyes to it, is to see art from people who would never get to express themselves on a global stage. And that must be phenomenal. They fear repression locally and they must take great risks to make sure that they're not repressed. But we get to see things because of the internet that we wouldn't otherwise see. You know, and, and that must be enriching, surely, Adam. Well, I think it isn't the point... Enriching for the artist to be able to know that everybody around the world is seeing of their course. art. Of course. I mean, two things occur to me. One is that it must be part of capitalist ideologies, but even more is better. So obviously we want more of whatever we think we like. Um, it would seem to me also true that you, you're not going to... I don't know how to put this really, but I think it's like, it's like the assumption... I mean, if we say, OK, the more voices we hear, the better, mm -hmm. then we have to take on the fact that people are then going to say all sorts of things, some of which we won't like. Mm -hmm. So we let everybody speak and everybody has access, but then the consequences of that could be that people are going to say all sorts of things. And some of them might really terrify the living daylights out of us. In other words, it's not as though more is manifestly better. More simply is more. <laughs> yeah. And, and then we have to, presumably through education and parenting and all sorts of things, find ways of managing an excess of images, say, mm -hmm. or an excess of information. Because the question is, what, you know, we're being asked to consume more than we can consume. Well, that obviously is what the people who are selling things want us to do. But if, and there, you talk about education as well as being a key thing, because if we're being asked to consume lots of things, then the gatekeepers of what is, I mean, the word I would use, unfortunately, is, you know, is a consent, well, is a consensus around art always problematic? Because there's always a reduce it to what's safest. Yeah, but also, I mean, Neil Diamond was asked the question, how do you feel about being rich? And he said, well, you can't have two lunches. Right? Of course, you can have two lunches. But the implication is there's something self-regulating about appetite. Mm -hmm. Well, there isn't. And once there isn't, then 
somebody moves in to do the regulating. We stop our children overeating chocolate because we know what's best for them. We don't know what's best for adults. Adults do not know what's best for other adults. I mean, we can claim to, but we don't in the way we know what's best for children. But you're making an assumption that one adult knows what's best for other adults. And look, could claim to. Anybody who senses things is claiming to know what's best for other adults. So is it possible to have a consensus around what's acceptable on the internet? Yes, but the question would be consensus between which group of people? Among whom? Julia, I'm now completely uh, banjacks at the, at the enormity of this. Yes, I mean, completely. I mean, how would you create consensus on, on the internet yeah. about, about taste? I mean, unless you close... Yeah, I mean, it would be a massive reduction of what is, accept, of what is acceptable because... Uh, you would lose, for, you would lose the, 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 the greatest richness is the potential for diversity. And I think that the first thing would go would be diversity. Yeah. Because it's, it's yeah, I mean, you, you would get some weird... But, okay, let, let, think but let's just take uh, a painting by, I don't know, Hieronymus Bosch or something. That you could imagine that some of the imagery in that could be regarded as being violent or twisted or whatever. You then enact that sort of thing in the 21st century online and post it. And it's about torture, just say, let's say. Um, is that problematic? Should you ever show someone else being tortured in art? Is the, the is it, should you ever show somebody else being tortured in art? I mean, honestly, you know, you, you obviously, head in a plate, Caravaggio, you know, we, we, you see beheadings online now. Can you ever elevate that nowadays to art? when you're seeing it online? Well, I suppose you've, you've first got to assume that, that it wouldn't get taken down. Mm -hmm. And one of, uh, you know, there, it depends what the torture was and, and what was happening. I, and, and there would be, nowadays I think there are so many filters out there that they probably pick up on some aspect of it. If something is actually breaking a law, I mean, this is the other thing, is, and, and, and I think where the sort of the pornography association is often with, you know, with sex trafficking and yeah. with drugs and, and with, with manip, you know, exploitation. exploitation and, and, you know, so it is very, it is, there is criminal activity associated with pornography. And um, I suppose if you are creating imagery that looks like a crime is being committed, then in a sense, I would say rightly that, you know, that should get pulled and, yeah. and but then to say that you should never be able to make it look Depict. like. I mean, I suppose you'd have to have all your, your, your if, I, if someone came to me and said, I want to reenact, um, is it the Garden of Eden by, yeah. by, by Bosch? <laughs> wow, what a great idea. I mean, what a fantastic idea. But you'd have to make sure no animals and human beings and children were, were harmed in the, in, the, in, the, in the making of that work. Otherwise, you would be convicted of crimes. And one of the things that we always advise artists is, I, or, or any you know, institution that is concerned about a piece of work that may be controversial and possibly is breaking a law, is, is make sure of your legal position first. And I think that must apply whether that's on, online or, or, or not. Yeah. That you really know um, the, the laws that control the environment in which, you are, in which you are going. And so, yes, I mean, I would say what a beautiful idea. Do, 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 do as much as you can of the Garden of Eden. But, but make sure of your legal, your legal position in the country in which you are, in mm. which you are yeah. creating that work. Because yeah. you might, uh, yeah. you know, cutting off someone's mm. foot but, is yeah. probably, probably shoving not. an but, but the thing also is instant. You know, yeah. as opposed, you know, now we are looking at you know Bosch or whoever it is through through the lens of centuries and centuries and centuries. Yeah, and what's continually happened in the history of art is that people have produced art, and loads of people have said this is terrible or awful or violent or anti-human, and then eventually somebody's turned up and made an eloquent case. Yeah, and then suddenly we all think, yes, Stravinsky is a genius. It's not a load of old noise, but. It requires somebody to turn up and make a case that is compelling. But we do know that we don't know absolutely, because taste changes all the time. Taste changes all the time, and as you say, 4,000 images a second. Yeah. You know, we're being asked to make artistic judgments, as you say, instantly. AI is trying to make them instantly, and then human beings are taking 10 seconds. Yes. I mean, can you imagine? Lots of kind of art history people are looking, God almighty, oh, that was a good one, that was a bad one. Swipe right, <laughs> swipe left. Yeah, and even, I mean, thinking back to 
um, you know, when, when you've got a court of law and you're having, you're having everybody consider with a great deal of time and attention, there's that case with um, Justice Potter Stewart who said about whether or not Louis Malle's film um, Les Amants was hardcore pornography or not. And, and he, he, he presided over that and said, I know it when I see it, and this isn't. So, you know, it, even at the, at the most considered point, that, that, that permission to be extremely ambiguous is kind of built into, our, into well, the US, in this case, legal system. And so, it, you know, that opinion, that taste, mm -hmm. is so subjective. That, but it, it, yes, it was subjective, but I, 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 in a way it's always going to be subjective, but what, my, what I'm thinking now more is that we don't have time to make no. those decisions now. And, and that is the big difference. Yeah, we don't have time. And also, we don't have time because actually there's something else to, to excite our appetite immediately. But we don't have time either to think, digest, or indeed have a conversation. I mean, 4,000 images a minute. There's second. no conversation in that. A second. second. A second, a sorry, a second. Yeah. You're just slow. Yeah, no, I'm slowing it down. <laughs> yes. But the thing is, again, you, know, you look at this behind and you say, I would want to spend a lot of time looking at that, and I want to make judgments and so forth. I suppose you just have to stop it. And then, you know, when you've got art that's maybe difficult, maybe some of you are, you'd have to sort of say, okay, I, I want to make sure that image stays up for a long, long time so people can consume it and think about it. I mean, what do you want people to see when they look at your art? Do you want them to see genitalia? Do you want to see beauty? Do you want to see emotion? Because people, are going to see it on, you know, you can see any art online, obviously, but you're creating it through being online. I think people will see whatever they want to see and will be upset because if they are offended by something I've done or produced, probably it will have more to do with their own, it will be them projecting their own feelings about something mm -hmm. um, onto what I'm doing rather than, I don't, I'm not interested in, um, provocation no. with my work. Um, I'm interested in maybe provoking myself to um, break down and question feelings I might have about difficult subjects, mm -hmm. but I'm not interested in making a piece of work that is um, particularly um, provocative. Or mm -hmm. Can you imagine that the, the, the work that you make, that in the foreseeable future you will employ the internet because that's just the way that you like to work. And do you have ideas for how you might use it in the future for what series of um, images or, or changing your ideas about what you might want to paint or whatever? Can you imagine that it will always be via the internet? Um, I enjoy making work from the internet, but it is a, also a screen that I'm looking at. I have to make that distinction that it's it's limited in that it's a, a two-dimensional <coughs> object and often the imagery is distorted and pixelated and it's um, trapped in its own technology. It's not real life. Like, I, I, I have made paintings on top of a volcano where the volcanic ash is all over the painting and exploding in front of me and that experience is very different to looking at even a very violent thing online. Um, but I, I am interested in the potential of the internet to provide images and experiences that I might not otherwise have access to. Yeah, not necessarily of a sexual nature or including it, but just generally, but the images. Yeah. The, the, so actually, as an artist, the internet can enrich your experience of being an artist. Yeah, I think so. That must be a good thing. Of course. but. I imagine a lot of people in this room have had an education in which they've been encouraged to believe in slow looking mm -hmm. and slow reading, as though this is the best form of attention, and this will clearly change. So in 100 years' time, our great-grandchildren or children will say, no, 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 we like fast looking. What we do is we look very, very quickly. Things really do change. And so for the, those educated, I mean, when Julia said, you know, um, art challenges, well, everybody needs to have a certain kind of education. Well, not. Yeah, art challenges, it breaks boundaries. We all know this. But, or and, these things really do change. 
And somebody obviously can come along and say, no, art doesn't challenge. Art reinforces the ruling ideology. So we, in this capitalist culture, think it's amazing. There's so much diversity. And it actually, profiteering has totally taken over. There's only neoliberalism. So in this great, prolific, mm -hmm. diverse culture, there's actually only one political game in town. Must be telling us something. We've got more of something and a lot less of something else. Uh, but we're going to have to adapt to it because it's not going to adapt to yeah, us. We, yeah, are, we are at the mercy of the internet. Would you agree, Julia? Um, yeah. Well, maybe that's too loaded to say we're at the mercy of it. But yeah, we it, can walk away from it, but I mean... It, no, no, you can't. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> you can try. You can walk away from it, yes. Yeah, you can walk away from it. And I think that people do. And, you know, for instance, this, this woman, this, this artist, Yumna, has, has sort of abandoned some platforms and, and, you know, she's had times when she's just taken herself out completely. I'm sure she's typical of lots of people, you know, you mm. do take breaks. And um, it feels like we're in the grip of, we're in the grip. Yeah. But, but who knows? I mean, maybe there will be a massive change and there will be a massive... You know, this is, this is um, again, Scarlett Johansson described it as a, wor a vast wormhole of darkness. So maybe it's just going to self-consume. And in fact, I, I was working with a guy um, who, who's a futures designer, and he thought maybe it will just, we were talking about online harassment and, and the self-censure that comes in, these, these issues. And, and he said, you know, what I do is sort of think, if that's happening now, what's, what's one logical and possible conclusion of that and looking 30 years ahead? And he said, so maybe it's just going to become an, um, a sort of pit of vipers and sort of hyperactive, speed-ridden sort of, you know, darkness that's just going to consume and something else. And maybe people like this futures designer will already be in the wings with, with some kind of alternative thing. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm sort of... I, I hope that we're not going to just get consumed no. by... So, you know. But I, I love the expression slow-looking. Yeah. I think you know, that, that's a very good way of thinking. I mean, you can have the internet, which is incredibly fast, but you can make sure of your own sanity that you slow look. Yeah, and you can teach children to slow look. And how do you do that? Well, by, by, simply by encouraging, in an inspired way, the value of the experience. If you look slowly, more can be evoked. But we, you know, we've all had good teachers. Mm -hmm. One good teacher changes one's life. A good teacher who can make a case for slow looking You'll slow look. Ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the end of this session. Please give our panel a big round of applause. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this recording, feel free to leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.